And so a human is a very crucial part of that for us. And we actually invested from early on how to scale the human loop. We've been able to see progress and the AI doing things much sooner because the cleanliness of the data that we have. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. All right, everyone, I am really excited to bring you this one. Today, we welcome Akalish Bapu, co-founder and CEO of DeepScribe to the show. They are using AI to transform medical documentation, and Akalish was a great sport and went into loads of detail on how DeepScribe uses supervised and unsupervised machine learning, including techniques that leverage large language models, to enable physicians to spend more time focusing on their patients instead of manually taking notes. We also explored how DeepScribe developed their go-to-market strategy, focusing on an inbound heavy approach, targeting private practice, then expanded it to sell into large health systems. But my favorite part of the conversation was when we talked about the importance of maintaining a human in the loop in AI systems and healthcare settings to ensure accuracy and manage algorithmic bias. Here we go. Welcome, Akalish Bapu. Everybody's talking about AI and generative AI, and I'm looking forward to getting into the details with you and separating the myth from the reality and learning about how you help healthcare professionals today because there's plenty of work to do. But maybe just so we can get started, can you share the story behind DeepScribe? What was the inspiration and what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Happy to be here and looking forward to chatting. So the inspiration for DeepScribe came from a couple areas. The first was, you know, before DeepScribe, I was a researcher at Berkeley's AI Research Lab. And I worked under Jamie Murdoch, who was one of the first people to write a paper on interpretability in NLP. And so we really got to explore the relationship between structured data and its results on summarization performance. And one of the big conclusions we came to um, actual quality and precision of the data played a big role in machine learning progress. And this was back in 2017, so obviously a different time than today, but I think a lot of the assumptions hold. So that was realization number one. Realization number two was actually through my dad, who's an oncologist. And growing up as a kid, it's hard to ignore how much your parent is working. And if your parent is frustrated at the work, they're usually vocalizing those concerns. And for my dad, I started to realize that he was spending almost half his day on documentation. And because he had to spend that time during the daily office with patients, he would bring that work home. He would dictate on the weekends. And so it became this part of my childhood where it was this constant nag of, dad, can we do this? And he's like, oh, no, like, let me go finish my notes. Um, it even got to the point where, you know, as a dad is a clinician, all your family friends tend to be clinicians as well. And you would literally get kicked out of a party because the host would be like, all right, got to catch up on documentation for the next day. Sorry, guys. And so it was this big problem in healthcare that I don't think enough people were talking about back in, I guess, shortly after 2010, when CHRs came out and it formed this part of my childhood. And so if you fast forward about a decade or so, I was in the Berkeley Eye Research Lab, had this realization, was great friends with Matt, my co-founder, who had experienced this from a patient's perspective and realized that the doctor wasn't actually paying as much attention to his mother as he thought we should have, and raised the question, why is the doctor distracted? And then from my side, it was, why is my dad spending so much time on documentation with patients? 
And so that encouraged us to do this sort of map of the landscape and wonder why if species checked was already so good and summarization seemed good, why no one had solved it. And the big answer, the big aha moment at DeepScribe is that foundation training data doesn't actually exist today. The voiced conversations that power models to actually summarize conversations or anything beyond that isn't available. And so you can't really train successful AI model on this space. At DeepScribe, yeah, we're solving documentation, but what we're really doing is collecting a new type of data that allows us to not just solve documentation, but solve other problems along the voiced care stack that lead to this snowballing of AI and medicine that we're all really looking forward to. So Akalish, I'm glad that you've got a deep background in, in AI research because I think our audience will really benefit from you explaining just what is AI? How does DeepScribe use it? What techniques do you use and why did you select those techniques? Can you tell us a little bit more about the underlying technology? Yeah, absolutely. So AI to us at DeepScribe is this magical way to teach a computer to do something as good or better than a human for a critical high-risk text. And what that means for us is that the way we employ AI is a little bit differently than, you know, how other people may employ AI. In healthcare, positioning is very important, which means you can't make mistakes. And the balance between having a doctor write a note from scratch versus making edits on your note is a very thin one. And so if you get an AI that isn't accurate enough, you actually end up costing the doctor more time on writing the note than if they had used their initial workflow. So hard to nail. And so the way we employ AI at DeepScribe is actually a couple of different ways. The first way is we first transcribe the audio and we have a unique way of doing that where we lean on multiple different vendors because no single speech vendor is good at every single conversation and gets the highest accuracy. Also, what we learned about the space is that folks release bi-weekly updates. And so you want to make sure you're always looking at that. So that we have a stack around that. The second way we use AI is actually writing the notes. And this means using a combination of larger language models trained on our data set, as well as large foundation models like GPT-4 that are really good at what they do and ensemble together to generate a note. And then the last thing we do that's unique at DeepScribe is we actually have a human reviewing the note at the end before it actually goes to the doctor. And that allows us to actually bring AI that may not actually be completely production ready for a new market, especially one like healthcare, and bridge that gap until it's ready. And a few years ago, wasn't well, still ready. And so the human was doing a lot. But more recently, it's becoming more and more ready. We still argue with DeepScribe that it's not completely ready because we still see very obvious mistakes here and there. But that's the last part of our stack. It sounds like you rely on partners that are leading class in natural language processing, and they're taking the audio file and they're transcribing that into text which you can then feed into foundational large language models to generate the sum summarization notes. You know, so you've got the human in the loop and you're generating all this feedback data and you're fine-tuning your reward function. Do you think the future for DeepScribe is to create its own foundation model that, that represents these facts, the relationships between indications and medications, um, how things present? Or do you think that your differentiation will be in the fine-tuning of other large language models that are more general purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think for us at the beginning, with the state of AI, when we started the company, it was to collect this new type of data set that would unlock the position needed to solve this problem. But recently, with the advancements of LLMs, especially from an open source standpoint, it's 
brought along this new trend of now your data can unlock so much. And it's been quite magical seeing what we're able to do with this, not just summarization performance, but also using the conversational data that we have to basically diagnose patients or suggest treatment options or diagnose them based off of their voice and other cool things that you can do with this data. So um, bring head team is always tinkering. And I think strategically, documentation is still a very hard problem to solve. So we're not trying to become an EHR or anything like that. Safety that stand. But I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think that's something that we want to explore in the near future. Great. So on July 23rd, you were profiled in the Wall Street Journal, and they dug into how you train your models and how you ensure accuracy in the output. Can you tell us a little bit more about the coverage and why you feel it's so important to have humans in the loop? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you guys may know, we were covered in the Wall Street Journal early last week. And the article was primarily written around the perils of AI in healthcare, so to speak. And at Describe, we are on the cutting edge of what's possible from an AI standpoint, given the data, given the talent of the team, given how long we've been in the space, um, working directly with doctors and leading institutions to see what's possible and what isn't possible. And so we have a fairly forward-thinking stance of, of AI and its potential. But we also identify the risks. They can miss a crucial medication. It can misrepresent who the patient really is if there are multiple caregivers in the room. They can jump to the wrong conclusions if they're dancing around in the conversation. And it can make some very crucial errors. And so for us, the deep scribe, there is a path we could take where we could put the onus of reviewing the notes on the doctor and have the doctor be responsible for the edits. And I think legally speaking, that's a fair way to deploy a product. But from our standpoint, I think the real responsible way to deploy a new product like this is with the right protections in place so that we don't do harm to clinicians, to patients, and to healthcare in general. And so a human is a very crucial part of that for us. And we actually invested from early on how to scale the human loop. And one of our angel investors, Alex from Scale AI, has really been instrumental in giving us guidance from how Scale AI solved it and and basically sharing notes here and there and guiding us on how to solve it. And we feel pretty good about it today from a scalability standpoint. And so I think from a accuracy and trust and safety standpoint, even Luke is very important, but it's also important from a accelerating of model stint. And so when you have a human labeling data at near perfect precision, that takes your model much farther than if you have a non-structured or unlabeled data set or non-clean data set. So we also see that it's one of the big advantages and we've been able to see progress and the AI doing things much sooner because the cleanliness of the data that we have. So that's how we use human loop at DeepScriber. We continue to advertise it and we continue to be proud of it. And we think it's an essential safeguard in a world of AI and healthcare. I appreciate that answer. And the reality is when things go wrong in healthcare, they can go quite wrong. So it's very understandable that the industry is very conservative. But I think we need to take a balanced view when assessing AI systems and their opportunities and risks. And that includes understanding the downside risks of not deploying them. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, Alex, and obviously something that's very near and dear to our hearts at Deep Stride. The main place that I would start there is in terms of what a physician's workflow looks like today. A physician today basically spans about 10% of their visit face-to-face -face with the patient. That's a key stat that's out there. And if you look at physician status today, 
almost half of them admit through surveys that they're burned out, which is an insanely critical stat that really affects patient care. And then if you look at it financially, when you look at organizations and how much they're spending on clinicians to write notes versus patients and sum up the cost, it's close to $155 billion that the U.S. health system spends for clinicians to write notes. And so if you combine all of those together, you can argue that the clinicians are losing, you can argue that the health systems are losing, but really the people that are losing here are the patients because uh, at the end of the day, the care that they get is not at the level that if they should be getting the face timers getting the amount of critical thinking the clinician puts into their diagnosis, the quality of representation of information regarding that. Just, and that's just on the care pathway part. Then you also have, from a statistical standpoint, how it affects their own healthcare outcomes. The U.S. healthcare system is well known to have a 5% misdiagnosis rate. And the third leading cause of death is medical errors. And would put all of it on documentation, but documentation and the amount of time clinicians have to spend in a distracted state leads to these pretty dire outcomes. And so at DeepScribe, I think the way we would solve a lot of this or the solution we would bring to the table is really the gift of time, giving clinicians the flexibility and time to focus on what they think matters the most, which will, in most cases, hopefully be the patient. And if we can allow clinicians to do that, then from a financial standpoint, organizations win. From a burnout standpoint, clinicians win because they're doing what they love. But the most important part is that patients will get 100% undivided attention from the clinician. And they'll have nearly perfect documentation of what went wrong. So the clinician will give a thorough assessment. And then in the future, by integrating ourselves into the conversation and at the point of care, the hope is that we can also have an AI work with a human or work with a clinician in harmony to basically cover their blind spots. If there's a diagnosis they're not thinking of, or if there's a treatment they're not thinking of, or if there's something that only AI can do, like diagnose a clinician from voice, that's something we can supplement the clinician with. And I think that will truly take us to this world of healthcare that we're all dreaming of, where you don't have errors, you don't have clinicians dealing with cloaking software and wasting their time. And that's the world of healthcare we all look forward to at each That's certainly the world of healthcare that I want to be living in. Who do you sell into? Are you selling into private practices or are you selling into hospital systems? So in the beginning, we actually went enterprise first from a strategy standpoint. And we found that, and this is of no surprise to anyone that started a company in the space, as a healthcare startup, it takes a lot for a health system strategy. That was one realization. The second realization was that documentation is an insanely hard problem to solve. There are people that have tried to solve it before, like the nuances of the world, and they have poured a lot of resources into it. You have large human scribe companies, you have fully automated solutions today, you have dictation tools. And so that was the second realization for us. And so in order to really marry the two, the fact that enterprise go to market would take a long time. And the second that we really needed to figure out why others had solved it and what the winning recipe looks like here, um, we actually went into the private practice segment and we did something that no one had done in our space, which is use inbound to fuel our growth. So we invested heavily in SEO, SEM. If you can go to our AI medical scribe today, you'll see Deep Scribe at the top. 
Um, and when we started the company, we were the only ones there. And obviously now, if you Google AI Medical Scribe, you see that other people have latched onto that inbound first marketing strategy, which means we're doing something right, but also means that we have to start spending a little bit more money and time there to make sure we stay on top. But that was the sort of initial go-to-market, which was private practices, go wide, after as many workflows, as many types of position quality calibrations needed in order to develop the best product. And once we had a product that could solve what we call the three axes, which is quality, workflow coverage, and cost or accessibility, then we've been gaining more and more adoption from health systems once we've really nailed that product. Because all enterprises are looking for in space are getting is the one-stop documentation solution that they can scale system-wide. One that they can just advertise to all their clinicians and proudly support as the solution to documentation. And I don't think we've seen that solution yet. I think a Detribe were um, excited to be that solution for the first time. And so over the next few years, I think we'll be, we'll, we're already seeing and we'll be continuing to see more traction in the health systems. Yeah, it makes sense. So start enterprise wide. Wow. Long sales cycle, battled back a little bit, go to the private practice, get some early wins, good case studies enables you to go back to the health systems and show the mm-hmm. traction and enables you to sell in. That makes a lot of sense. That's something that others in our audience say they can pick up and they can run with. Can you share a story about a customer that's benefited from your solution? So earlier we were talking about how 10% of physician time is spent looking at the patient during a patient-clinician interaction, right? Um, you know, the amount of clinicians who are facing burnout due to documentation overload, not to mention just increased caseloads. It's just stuff time. So uh, can you share a customer story of someone who's benefited from deploying DeepScribe and specifically what benefits they've observed? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorites is Dr. Holmes over at Privia Health. And Privia Health is one of our largest customers. I think this case study is public. But this particular clinician before Geekscribe had roughly so three ways we measure value proposition there. The first is the amount of clicks she had to make per encounter, the amount of keystrokes in her EHR the amount of documentation time she spent for notes. And, you know, we saw a pretty dramatic reduction in them, probably 3x or 4x, which was exciting. But the reason I picked this particular doctor is the way she measured ROI is really in how much time she spent with her kids. And if you look at the time savings there, if we calculated for her, it's roughly three weeks. And that is a pretty crucial, critical statistic and something we're proud about. So I think that would be one we highlight where a clinician may be giving the patient the attention they need. They may be giving the right care, but they're doing that at the sacrifice of time spent with family on work by balance. And so that is a great example of a clinician that's really benefited from DeepScribe coming in and completely eliminating documentation from her workflow that then allows her to spend the time with patients during the day, spend time with family during the evening, which if I said a few years ago, I think a lot of doctors would cringe at me saying, that's not possible, show me how. But what's amazing about these drivers, now it's possible. Yep. Uh, Akalash, I can hear echoes of your inspiration story. If only your dad had this when he was a practicing oncologist, you could have come back for the football match. But it's great that you two get a partner now and help improve lives of physicians and get them with their kids more. That, that's amazing. And my dad is a pathologist and my mom's an RN, so I get it. And I appreciate the work you're doing. So I want to shift gears back to the core technologies. So AI is amazing, right? I mean, we're all using these tools. We're seeing how they transform the way we work and interact with one another. 
it really does feel as if we're passing into a new frontier and it's very exciting. However, AI systems are trained on historical data and those historical data can be rife with uh, systemic inequities with, you know, that we have within our society, right? So it's commonly observed that AI systems have the potential to perpetuate bias. So I just wanted to hear how you think about this as the leader of an AI-first company. How do you ensure that your AI systems are fair and unbiased? That's a really hard question. We were doing a panel with Professor John DeMero from Berkeley a few months ago, and it was on AI in healthcare in general. He had co-founded a company called Lilt, which does machine translation. And we had all obviously founded DeepScribe. We're talking about the relationships and what it really means to solve for bias and fairness. And it's just really difficult. And the reason is because it's a data issue and the models are learning from the data. But with the advent of generative AI, models are making a lot more assumptions. They're filling in the blanks a lot more than what models used to do. And so at DeepScribe, we've also seen that where a model may index more towards a certain gender. It may index more sort of towards a certain demographic or population. It may index towards a certain diagnosis. And so from our standpoint, the way we mitigate against this type of issue is actually through our human loop. So by continuous reinforcement learning to eliminate bias, we're able to do the best we can to ensure that if a model learns something, that it goes the other way or gets bad rating or bad reviews is less likely to do it again. But then also from a data standpoint, we ensure that we can collect data in an unbiased way because we have that human control in place. And that human control is responsible for trying to eliminate bias by ensuring that the data is not specific to a certain patient. It's more general about the note and the content rather than individualistic tendencies. But at the end of the day, there's also this sort of paradox of we're trying to eliminate bias, but then we're also trying to individualize notes and give patient-centered care. This is my short answer. And I think we have a nice way to solve it with humans, but will that be enough? I don't think so. I think we have to continue to put it at the forefront of what we do. And as we get more doctors on more automated notes, it'll be something that c continues to come up. And as we automate diagnoses, as we automate other parts of the workflow, it will continue to be front and center. Something that we just have to leverage the greatest minds and AI on in terms of what works best, but then also ensuring that it's dealt with from an very important critical standpoint from a company perspective. And we're really putting it first when we build AI. Thank you for your thoughtful answer. Can you describe the difference between supervised and unsupervised machine learning? Deepscribe standpoint, supervised machine learning is one in which you have labeled data for the model to learn from. And so at the end of the day, it's trying to match that label and need a large label data set in order to do so. And that is usually the limiting factor for supervised learning. Um, unsupervised learning is one in which you don't actually need a labeled data set because you basically have a way for the model to learn without using that labeled data. And when you see it, some of the latest breakthroughs in language models, a lot of it is because of this brilliant technique um, where you have models fill in the slots between sentences that don't actually need labeled data. You have this automated way of training a model to learn a language or learn a representation really well. So at Deepstride, we think both are very important. You need, in, in terms of just getting broad and strong language understanding, that's where the unsupervised kicks in. 
because you can't supervise the entire internet and you should load that labeled data in. But at the same time, for healthcare specific tasks, you also want to guide the model in a certain direction. And that's where supervised comes into play. So uh, at Deep Drive, we use both and we equally benefit from both. Great. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about the scribes, right? So they're, they're a key part of this equation for providing the reward function against which you can optimize to get better and better model output over time. Um, and then also they help you with managing the bias challenges you were talking about earlier. So can you share a little bit about the role of a scribe at DeepScribe and how you source and train people on that important team? Yeah. So in the beginning, the scribes actually started out as our friends at Berkeley, pre-med students. They were very sharp. And when it came to labeling data and providing notes, they were the best. It was truly amazing to be working with them. The incentives are aligned perfectly. They got experience for med school. We got great data. And, and so that worked really well. But obviously, as we scaled, we had to figure out other talent pools. And luckily, there are universities around the U.S. that have similarly talented pre-med students and, and other types of just folks that have medical and clinical backgrounds. And so they help review our notes for a good amount of time. And then as we scaled past that, the next step was to um, figure out what areas of labor that we could tap into where they have a unique uh, skill set to review notes and they're able to do the job, but at a more scalable level. And so we've spent a lot of time growing our scribe force in other countries like India or the Philippines. And that's, there's some insanely talented people there that are either ex-engineers or have medical backgrounds that are looking for intellectually stimulating tasks. And you know what a lot of people don't know about our scribing process is that you're not just writing the notes, you're also labeling the data. And the way you label the data matters a lot to our success of the company and also how the AI learns. And we thought what the scribe job looked like looks like. It's an in-house tool where they're labeling the data as they're writing a note. And and yeah, that's how the Hero Loop works today. So what advice would you have for other AI-focused founders that are looking to leverage staff like you work with scribes for ensuring their model accuracy improves over time? Have you found any mechanisms or metrics, ways of measurement to provide feedback to those individuals to ensure that you're getting what you need to improve model accuracy as you scale? Because there's a trade-off there, right? Between scaling yeah. and accuracy. And I'm sure you've thought of clever ways to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say if I needed to give advice to someone trying to spin up a human loop to optimize for AI training and performance, the first step I would say is just be as scrappy as possible build a scrappy UI, figure out a scrappy source of talent and ensure that the task is actually possible. Can you label the data at the granularity you need? If you have full like human oversight, can you get that to a cost that is effective and works with your business model? And does that process lead to truly better AI? And if you can nail all those three things in a scrappy manner, then you start thinking about how to scale it up, how to ensure quality standards at scale. And the reason I say start scrappy is because solving human loop at scale is very difficult. And you only want to do it if you absolutely need to. And deep scribe, we knew we absolutely needed to because of the lack of the foundation data set in this state. Once you figure out how to do that, then you scale it up. But one thing that's really worked with DeepScribe is taking a product-focused approach to scaling human loop. So one of the honest realizations for us a couple of years ago that we had to internalize was that we are an internal tools human loop optimization company. 
until the AI can write a good portion of the note. And so that grant's focusing a lot of our engineering resources on really refining what that human loop experience looks like. Because the only thing that really mattered to us is the quality of data would that lead to a better AI. And once we got there, then we transitioned as a business to focusing more on front-end experiences for clinicians. And, and that's how we have to progress. In the beginning, we did make a mistake where we knew human loop was important, but we weren't investing in it. So that honest realization is very important. And once you have that realization, then you start to solve quality what you like what you brought up as well as other challenges on managing human loop pretty fast and pretty effectively. Mm. Uh, Akalish, can you tell me a little bit about your fundraising journey? So this is a part of the entrepreneurial journey that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, who you choose to take money from has a huge impact on your commercial success. And I'm laughing because it's just, it's so important. But tell me a little bit about your fundraising journey, who you've brought on as investors and any advice you have for other founders as they're thinking about how to raise capital. Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning in 2019, when we raised our first round, which was a pre-seed and then a seed later in the year, no one was talking about documentation. So it was all about educating investors on what this means, what the space means. There's very little why we're different. It was just all about the tech work. And in the Series A in late 2021, it was a lot different because the space had basically blown up in the two years between 2019 and 2021. There were new players in the space. They all had different approaches. And so then it was like, documentation is obvious, the value proposition is obvious, why are we the best product? And then in the most recent round, which is still unannounced, so will be announced soon, it continued to be more of that conversation of, um, now that you have the tech, now that you have early science of traction at the private practice and enterprise level, what is the path to furthering that traction? So that's what the Series B was about. And that's how I would describe the fundraising process in every different stage. It's a different animal. And if I were to give advice to other founders going through fundraisers, I would say the first thing is ensure that the business fundamentals and the business metrics are um, solid. And you can do that by reaching out to friendly investors that will give you honest feedback because the metrics are the core of the fundraise. You can't pitch around bad metrics. So that's the first piece of feedback. And that's where I've seen a lot of founders that I've uh, talked to go wrong and trying to basically convince an investor to believe something that they may not even believe in because the methods just aren't there. And then the second thing is really nailing the story. So really being able to draw from your experience from end to end on why you started the company, where you see this going, why you see this winning, and essentially having that winning strategy, quote unquote, is also very important. And that flows into how the pitch deck and design, how you talk through things, how you approach conversations. So those are the two things that I would say as advice going through fundraise. Sorry if it's generic, but um, but that that's what I would say. Not at all. Um, so Akalesh, the audience and I are sitting around the campfire and we want you to tell us a story about where DeepScribe is going to go over the next five years. Where are you going to go? What's your ambition? Yeah, I mean, our ambition at DeepScribe is to become um, this data company of healthcare. I think there is an opportunity out there that is wide open for grabs on who is going to be the company that solves the data problem. How do you basically create this new foundation data set and then allow that data set to unlock not just the problem of scribing, but other critical problems along, along the line. And so the way I would describe DeepScribe for the future 
is as this platform where we solve a data pipeline problem by collecting this new data set. And we're starting to allow what or enable what wasn't previously possible in healthcare. One, a world in which the doctor and AI are working in harmony to diagnose the patient, but also the AI just taking in all sorts of inputs from when the patient walks in to maybe even like personal fitness data and other data sources out there that currently aren't being captured along with the voice data from the conversations to generate this holistic care experience where AI is front and center. And I think we're not too far away from that. And at DeepScribe, we want to be at the floor when I'm doing that. Very exciting. So uh, when we get off the phone, you go to your next meeting or two, you get home tonight, you're making dinner. What question are you going to wish that I asked you when you're thinking back on this interview? That is a great question. I would say what keeps me up at night about the way healthcare is going. I think if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would say that healthcare has had this trajectory of being relatively closed to new tech. And it was a good reason for why that was the case. With tech, you had a lot of risk and no IT team or system wants to add that level of risk. But now that you have this just, I guess, 180 in terms of where AI wants to be and where AI is now, I think you're seeing a lot of health systems and practices rush to adopt AI in their practices. And that's super exciting for healthcare. But what keeps me up at night is figuring out how to really nail customer delight. I think I've still seen a lot of products out there that throw AI at something, but don't actually solve a use case. And so over the next year, we're probably going to see a lot of customers or a lot of physicians try products and realize that it didn't solve their need or realize that it wasn't designed properly um, and stop using it and probably be burned from those products and burned from not just those products, but that area of the business or area of the market or area of opportunity. And so I hope that companies that are designing for healthcare that are able to build distribution spend a lot of time really thinking about what makes or breaks a customer experience in healthcare. And if we can get that on the same level as some of the other industries where customer experience is at front and center and really align incentives with the end user that's a clinician and take this sort of new interest in AI, which I see as a chance at redemption and really capitalize on it to deliver great experiences that continue to keep physicians excited about AI and continue to adopt solutions like DeepScribe or other AI-based solutions out there to continue to automate more and more of the workflow. I think we're in this really unique opportunity right now. And we should be careful, not just we as an HCRIBE, but we as an any healthcare startup should be careful in ensuring that we don't burn physicians' interests by delivering a product that is either too early to market or doesn't solve a customer problem. Yep, we don't want another EHR episode on our hands. <laughs> we're rolling out a flashy new tech only to find that we didn't integrate it well enough within the workflow. And also that it's designed to improve patient care and not just to make billing and reimbursement work a little bit easier. However, throughout the conversation, you shared a lot of detail on how you think about workflow. And I love how you put it there. Customer delight. Like when I pull out my iPhone, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> why, why can't it be like that for a physician, right? Akilish Bapu, co-founder and CEO of DeepScribe. I learned a lot from our conversation. I hope that our audience did too. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. 
If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.